Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Welcome back to Fresh Take with Joey and Ranveer. This week, we'll be talking about the public education system and how it has failed us. Um, we'll dive deep into the issues within our public education system and how we need to pay our teachers more. Hope you guys enjoy, and see you next week. Hey, how you doing today? I am fantastic. It's it's that time again. It's the second episode. It is Wednesday, and we're ready, and we're back. It First, is, Go ahead. No, I'm sorry. First of all, I just want to say thank you again to everyone that is watching. Uh, we had a ton of great support for our first podcast, and just know that we are only evolving like Pokemon and getting better from here. And a, and a great fact, we are the number one fastest-growing political comedy podcast in Fishers, Indiana, which is crazy. Thank you, guys. We are the only political comedy podcast in Fishers, Indiana, but it helps to have those awards that we can put up by our bedside table. Yes. Accolades mean a lot. So it's all about the materialistic things. If you take away one thing from our podcast, it's not going to be interpersonal connections. It's going to be what you have. That's what defines people. Yeah, what you have means everything. And I want to talk about what we don't have, which right now in America is a solid public education system. Very true. That was a goddamn ninja of a segue. That was amazing. I just wanted to make sure you guys knew that. We're getting better at this, as you can tell. <laughs> we we got to get to the point where we're so good that we don't even have to take away time from the podcast to mention it. Yeah, we do, yeah. <laughs> so we're, we're about to get so good that we don't even have to acknowledge <laughs> how good we are. Okay, so uh, public education in America. Uh, we could start with No Child Left Behind. Yes, and, let's start with that. Yeah, and the repercussions of that. So if you want to tell all of our beautiful listeners – what that is just as a refresher for him. Yes, so in 2002, George W. Bush passed an act called the No Child Left Behind Act. And the goal of that act was, it's in the wording, No (laughs) Child Left Behind. Um, It emphasized standardized testing, and basically schools would get funding based on how they score on those standardized tests. And actually, it ended up doing the opposite of what its goal was. No Child Left Behind, in theory, was a great idea. We do standardized tests, and we score those tests, and the people that score high on those tests are the people that are going to be people that are going to be... Kind of moved up a little bit quicker on an accelerated path. Yeah, they'll be accelerated. But what it did was that those people that don't score well on those tests, they got left behind. Yeah, so you're seeing this immense gap from those and the gifted and talented and advanced kind of uh, coursework all the way at the top and those kids that were 
promised to not be left behind still clinging at the bottom. So it created a larger divide than we had. So now you have kind of like higher scoring top 1%, top 10% students, but then below that, that the bottom 90%, that's where you're kind of struggling, and that's what um, I think we need to make strides as a country to fix. Um, yes. And with standardized testing, what do you think are the biggest drawbacks of that? Because as you said, it sounds good in theory, but what do you think are like what's keeping us down and why isn't it working? Everyone's different. Everyone learns at a different rate. And this one-size-fits-all mentality that we have when it comes to education is just wrong. Not everyone is going to score well on these standardized tests, and we know that. Some people are naturally bad test takers. They have really bad anxiety, and they may do bad on a test just because it's a test. And we've met people like that. You have friends like that. I have friends like that that are bad test takers but are very, very, very smart people. So I don't think a test should determine whether or not you are eligible to move on to the next level. Yeah. You think it should be more of a holistic? Holistic approach, yes. You want to explain what a holistic approach is? So that's where you're looking at more than one thing. So that's oftentimes brought up with holistic kind of like applications for colleges is they won't just look at your grades. They'll also look at your extracurriculars. Um, which, spoiler alert, that's not really a thing. We like to say it is, but holistic's not really a thing. And But I think that where we can start to make that a thing is if that begins in elementary schools. If you, if you learn from a holistic approach where you're not just building test-taking skills, you're also building social skills and life skills at a young age, I think that will influence higher education from the bottom up. So I think moving to a holistic way of doing this is a better idea. And also, what I think is really messed up about it all is I was in that advanced program, which means I could read a little bit better uh, as a second grader. But what happens to you, do you know the Stanford Prison Experiment? Yes. So I'll explain for those that don't. Stanford Prison Experiment basically was an experiment um, at the University of Standard, uh, of Stanford where they gave some students power based on like eye color, and they made them the guards, and then everyone else was a prisoner. And immediately those that were the guards became power-hungry and terrible people. It was a total shift just because they got a little bit of power. I think we see that at a microscopic level in the elementary because I was in that third and fourth grade class. We called it GT, the gifted and talented, and it gives you the mentality of a guard. It gives you the mentality of I'm better than these kids. When re- In reality, you, you just read a little bit better. You taste, take tests a little bit better. Um, and I think that is really detrimental to both sides. Because then you kind of get into the bigger pond and the bigger pond as one of those GT students, and you realize you're not all that great. You're just like a shittier guard. And then your whole life, if you're told you're one of the prisoners, then how are you going to look up and see those guards? And how are you ever going to accomplish as much as those guards? So I think if we switch to a holistic thing and take away the gifted and, and talented, we could influence it from the bottom up. And another advantage to getting rid of those tag or gifted and talented programs is those students that happen to be a little bit ahead of those students that aren't, when they're in the same classroom, there's a lot of collaboration that goes on. So instead of teaching to a test or teaching to a a pro, um, I wouldn't even say project. Projects are pro. I, I enjoy projects. Yeah. They're a great way to teach kids, well, teach people in general. Yeah, exactly. Well. Instead of teaching to a test, let's in encourage collaboration among our students that way they learn from each other and that's an even added benefit to school where the fact where if we can collaborate and learn together and grow together not only does that make for a better 
education system, but it makes for a better community. Those kids are going to get to know each yeah. other, be friends with each other, hang out outside of school. And I think where we see the difference between those gifted and talented kids and those kids that are in these normal classrooms is there's also could may very well be an income inequality. Gap. Absolutely. Income inequality goes hand in hand with public public education um, failing because the the mean income of an area normally determines how much that public school system receives in funding. Yeah. So if you're I'm not going to obviously call out places but like if you're like Carmel um, where the mean average income is a little bit higher than Indianapolis um, Indianapolis schools or the IPS school system you're going to get more funding simply because you were born in, in Carmel and you lived in Carmel which gives you better and better advantages um, but what you were talking about with how low-income kids often kind of struggle I don't want to generalize obviously but um, like it, it's a little bit tougher to succeed in school when you have to worry about being hungry or you have to worry about um, are the lights going to be on when you get home um, that's something that we talk about but I don't think a lot of people fully digest when it comes to education. We can go back to our last week's episode where empathy. We have to empathize with these people. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and I think it's it's more than that. I love what you said about the collaboration effect. Um, and I think we should take away the whole these kids are gifted and talented, these kids are the other. Um, and I think we should start teaching kids to teach themselves. And then once you learn how to do that yourself, you are going to be more willing to teach someone else. So if you learn at a young age how to digest information, ever, I think the best way to learn is by helping someone else learn. For sure. So now it's kind of like you're pulling everyone up with you. This is, a, again, going back to last week, but um, the analogy of running a race. If some people have a head start, you can choose to keep running or you can choose to reach back and pull back. And I think that a lot of those kids, if they learn the skills to teach, will reach back and pull back with their peers. And I was reading a Forbes article. Um, I, I sent it to you yes. as well. Um, and he talked about, or he or she, I don't remember the author, but they talked about how parents are very quick to upload games, edu educational yeah. games for their kids. And I think we need to take a second look at that. We are teaching our kids that they can solely only learn through technology. Yeah. And we're instilling that at a very, very young age. Yeah, I mean, you go to any given restaurant and you see, like, every kid there has an iPad. Playing. Playing games. Well, I think the weirdest shift has been, it's been such a total shift from no technology in schools to all technology in schools. There was no quick little ramp up. And you got a lot of teachers that didn't grow up with technology, so they don't fully comprehend what's going on with it. But I think to your point, are we at the point in society where – this is the third phase where we're growing away from human interaction teaching to online. And do you think COVID is going to play a part in that with online learning? Yeah, so that's something that is a very interesting topic because we can talk about online learning, but you and I both did online learning yeah. this, this year with college, and I don't think I came away with the yeah. same education or the same thoughts that I would have if I was going to class and learning from my professor, collaborating with my fellow yeah. students. Um, and really, instead of just doing it by yourself, doing it with another person. Yeah. You know, and it also opens up a lot of room for cheating. <laughs> it is so yeah. damn easy yeah. to cheat. I saw, like, we, I'm not going to perjure myself, uh, but a friend of mine, uh, was taking finals with people 
like you like they it was open and the teachers professors have no way of tracking that so you're taking finals with other people and you're totally losing that i think what's different between us and elementary school kids is for us this is a breakup in what we're used to but if you're going back down to elementary school kids this is slowly becoming the norm so if they're used to learning as you were saying with like online games and stuff maybe this becomes the regular for them yeah and they grow up with it because we grew up textbooks yeah textbooks like technology was there like we had an ipad cart that would come in occasionally but it wasn't there mostly we had it was like a crane looking thing that had a light and yep. the teacher would write on it yep. and you with the little plastic sheets of paper and if you got in trouble you'd have to clean that plastic that plastic sheet which happened to me fucking all the time i don't want to seem old i feel like i seem old when i say this shit but like in 10 years it's already completely different it's like mars to earth yeah. Basically. And we are on Mars. You and I grew up on Mars. We were, there's no technology, barely any water. Well, we had water. But uh, like, <laughs> but now these kids are learning on Earth with like abundant resources. I'm wondering if if they switch to uh, – like they can make that adaptation to switch to electronic learning. But I guess what we were both talking about is is that as valuable? Even if it is the norm to them, are they getting the same out of it? No way. In my opinion, there's no way they're getting the same, yeah. the same thing out of it. It's when you have someone teaching you, you're kind of forced to learn, right? Yeah. You're, you're forced to sit in that classroom for seven hours a day, 180 days a, a year, and learn. But with e-learning, you can kind of breeze through it. I mean, there's yeah. only, only five points, you know. I'm just going to not do it. Not do it. Yeah. And an- another thing with e-learning, oh, shit. another <laughs> thing with e-learning is um, if we want to talk about the income inequality gap. Yeah. In I, I taught wrestling. I coached wrestling at an IPS school, Purdue Polytech. Shout out to the Polytechies. Um, Is that the mascot? It's They're called Techies. Okay. Uh, I didn't mean Polytechies, Techies, whatever. Whatever. Uh, but <laughs> what I, I learned a lot from those kids. Yeah. Um, and they actually had an e-learning day every week. Every Tuesday would be an e- – or Wednesday or something like that would be an e-learning day where they didn't have to go to school um, – but they still obviously came to practice. Yeah. Um, and what I learned from them is that, like, they don't really care. Yeah. It doesn't really matter. Like, it's just, oh, it's e-learning, whatever. I'll just complete it later. Yeah. Well, um, and I think with kids that didn't already have the motivation to complete their schoolwork anyways, now it's just even easier to not do your schoolwork. Absolutely. Well, you, you can just go to – you can just go to – your friend's house and play all day and exactly it gives you the freedom to choose between going to school and not and with the way that things are now with the no child left behind and the focus on standardized testing you're getting like it's like mining for gold you pan you pan you pan and the sand kind of shifts slowly Mm -hmm. Um, but if we switch to online that's like power blasting a riverbank you're going to get so much more results and you're going to see so much of a difference I think more stark than you normally yeah. would because now you're seeing those kids that have the motivation that would normally be in your quote unquote gifted and talented. I, that's still bullshit. You can do math a little bit faster. Like yeah. that, that's all it boils down to. But you see those kids. You can do division while yeah. I can do addition and subtraction. That's yeah. it. Um, but you can see those kids jumping up while now, like you were forced to go to school. Um, those people kind of that were stuck at the, in the middle and in the, in the lower phases, they were forced to go to school. Now you don't have that force to go to school, and if you're already being treated like a lesser, where's your motivation? No one's checking on you. There's no truant officer knocking on your door 
saying, why weren't you in a Zoom call today? Yeah. Like, that's not going to happen. So those kids are going to get left behind even more. Mm-hmm. But I think it brings up an interesting concept, which is how valuable is – I don't want to say education because obviously that's one of the most valuable things, but how valuable is it to progress? Because we're getting to a point in society where you don't need even a high school diploma to do anything. Yeah, true. If you have a camera and a personality, you can – Make a living for the rest of your life. These YouTubers, I mean, Mark Zuckerberg um, with Facebook. Yeah, true. You don't need. So maybe this is a good thing. Maybe it's a bad thing. I don't. We'll see the income. We'll see the outcomes of these couple years that we're probably going to have of online school um, phase out in about six years. Yeah. Once we once we are the generation that's, you know, really running, running shit. Yeah. And my hope is that we are able to – it will be a seamless transition. But in reality, when our generation is the one that's in power, will we be a little far – little, little behind of our first generation because we weren't able to have these two important years of college in person and collaborate with our, our classmates and get different ideas and – there's a lot of unknown that's coming with yeah. COVID right now. Well, I think what's important for our generation is we're the tweeners. So we grew up without technology, and we remember a time before rampant technology. I don't want to say without technology. We had, like, lights and stuff. I didn't have a phone till I was, like, uh, I didn't have a phone freshman in high school. Yeah. I didn't have a phone till I was freshman. So you and I both, and our generation remembers a time before technology was an integral part of our lives. Mm-hmm. But now we also are living in a time and adapted to the time where technology is a part of it. So I wonder if that influences us as we become the primary generation and how we raise these kids, how we raise not these kids, but our kids, how we raise our kids. Um, Because right now you're seeing kids with uh, like the children of millennials are born into technology. They have technology. And I don't think a lot of millennial parents understand it because they grew up before technology was really huge in a part of our everyday lives. So I think it'll be interesting to see how our generation handles this. Because I feel like millennials don't fully have a grasp on what they're doing with their kids. Mm -hmm. And they just give them an iPad, shut them up, that's that. And I think with physically going to school, that gives that kid structure for the day. Yeah. You know, like I said earlier, you're there for at least seven hours. If you don't have any extracurriculars, you're there for literally at least seven hours and going there 180 days a year. When kids, me and my coach, uh, my the head coach talked about this a lot. If it weren't for wrestling, we wouldn't have – these kids wouldn't be going to school. Yeah. They go to school simply – they go to school and get good grades simply so they can wrestle. So wrestling is another structure in their life, and if they can't go to school, wrestling season gets canceled, they turn to drugs, sex, uh, I don't know, whatever all it may be, sands. gang violence, all those shenanigans that yeah, all yeah. those shenanigans that little kids are up to nowadays. It's even they have twenty four hours a day, seven days a week to do it. Yeah, and, and I think the question for me, and something that really hasn't been raised, is if we go all like electronic, what's going to happen to the extracurriculars? What's going to happen to, like, you were saying those kids stayed in school for wrestling. So if we go online, how the hell are you going to do school sports? Yeah. Because how, how the hell is there going to be districts if you're all online? 
Why not just uplink everyone, every kid to the same classroom every day? Just build a server that can handle, I don't know how many kids are in this country, but build a, build a server that can handle all that. What's the point of individuality at that point if we all yeah. go online? And I also want to say before we move on with this topic is the fact that you and I are very fortunate. We were very fortunate yes. to go to Hamilton Southeastern School is one of the best school districts in the country. Um, great teachers all around. Um, great staff. Absolutely. Um, and I could not be more thankful to go to a school like be in a school district like Hamilton Southeastern because I see what it's like to grow up in IPS. Absolutely. I see what it's like to grow up in the Gary schools. I see what it's like to grow up in the New York City schools. Um, it's hard. Yeah. Well, these kids are being forgotten. Yeah. When we talk about public schools, I think the first thing that anyone thinks of is this big old campus surrounded by suburbs. Um because that's how it's always been portrayed. I'm not going to blame the media or Hollywood, but that's how everything's portrayed there, and it, it gets to you. It, it kind of gets in your head. So I think, number one, we need to raise awareness that, hey, kids exist inside cities. Kids exist inside these school districts. And you were telling me when we were walking in, IPS schools that are closing left and right. Left and right, dude. It's like a buffet. Because there's no funding. Yeah, because they score low on their SATs yep. or I-STEP. Whatever it may be, they don't have the highest GPA. They score low, so they don't get funding, and that eventually they have to cut band. Yep. They have to cut – like, it starts with the band cuts. It starts with the extracurricular cuts. And then those kids that had the extra – they were relying on that extracurricular activity to get them through the day don't have it. Well, now, why the fuck do I want to go to yeah, school? Exactly. And I think what's crazy – well, what the, the, uh, the teachers in all this, by the way – for the most part, are in incredible at what they're doing. They're teachers for a reason. They're teachers for a reason, but when you get into a system like IPS, and IPS has had a lot of trouble for many, many years. Yeah. A lot of the teachers that go there are 20, 21, 22. Young. They don't have the necessary experience, I guess, to handle it because a lot of times you start off in what is called like a lower-grade school district, and I don't want to denigrate uh, IPS, but that's just kind of like – what, what that's it's just to. that's just how it is. It's just like uh, it's it's a little bit tougher to as a teacher to start off in a place that has high academic rigor. So they start you off in a place with lower academic rigor, with lower test scores, and so you're getting all these young teachers coming in and then leaving because they're moving up. So it's it's not a destination. It's a, it's a pit stop right now. Mm -hmm. A lot of inner city schools, and that's just so tough because these teachers want to help. I'm sure they want to help. But if you're going into a system that doesn't have support for you and doesn't support the students itself, it's almost an impossible fight to win. So I, I guess my question would be, how do we change that for the teachers? How do we get higher quality teachers into these, into these places? And would that even make a difference? I think it all starts with paying our damn teachers, dude. Yeah, uh, yeah. We – teachers are not only – a teacher in the classroom. They also act as a therapist, the mentor. Parents. Parents. Dude, I could count on my fingers, like, at least ten times I accidentally called the teacher mom. Like, at least ten times I For actually sure. did that. Easily. And I think it all starts with how much we pay the – I mean, they they got master's degrees, dude. Yeah. They have master's degrees in teaching and education. And yet we allow these teachers that are building the next generation – to go buy 
to go live on a salary that's barely livable. And you'd have to work in the school district for 15, 20 years to get a livable wage. It's bullshit. I, I don't know the numbers, but I know they're severely underfunded. And that's the problem. I mean, like, it started, I guess, with the strikes in Oklahoma uh, mm-hmm. a few years back. That was where this really called attention to it. But it's bullshit. The master's degree shit is unbelievable. You would never consider paying anyone else with a master's degree in any other field less than $100,000. In my mind, I hear master's degree, I think six figures. Yeah. I'm not saying that all teachers need six figures. I'm just saying, why is it not livable? Why are we not giving the fundamental builders of our next generation of leadership enough money to survive? Yeah. I mean, and that's a question that has a complex answer because I think one of the, the one of the oldest phrases that you learn is if those that can't do teach mm-hmm. and that already you learn that at a young age it kind of shoots down teachers credibility and then we all have had bad teachers for sure bad teachers stick with you more than good teachers great teachers stick with you but bad teachers stick with you more than that middle of the pack mm-hmm. so that's tainting everyone's kind of vision of them so when you think of a teacher you're getting both sides. You're not getting the middle. You're thinking of the worst things that they did and the best things that they did. And I think as people, it's so hard to see teachers as valuable as they are. It's hard to see the intrinsic value that they hold because we all have our own personal biases against teachers. So I think what needs to start happening is we change the conversation to this is a job they have to look at what they're doing for us. Yeah. And I think I've, I saw it firsthand um, – I have a great friend. Uh, his name's Jake. His mom is a teacher, and uh, she does a lot of work outside school. I, and I've seen it firsthand. I'll come over to Jake's house, and Miss um, Miss Jody will be sitting there grading papers or coming up with the next lesson plan. Um, and when it comes to great teachers, I think she is definitely one of them. Mm-hmm. She is a very innovative um I'd say young teacher that can understand where these kids are coming from because she has kids that age. Um, And I think when I see Miss Jody uh, put grinding till (laughs) 1 a.m. grading papers on the kitchen table, I think she deserves a little bit more than, you know, $60,000 or whatever teachers get paid. I think it's yeah. around, things around sixty seventy thousand dollars yeah. is what teachers get paid and in our to, school district. And you have to keep – and that's a pretty high number when it comes to teachers. I, I don't want to say it's a, it's a lot of money, but that shows you, like, that's kind of on the higher end. Yeah, we're, 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 we are also in a great – again, we've talked about this earlier. We are in a very lucky, fortunate school district yeah. where they are able to – pay their teachers just a little bit more than you know in an ips school maybe or you know we're we're, we live in a very affluent community and full of affluent people that are able to fund our fund our school and we also again we score high we score high on the sat genuinely we score high on the i step genuinely we score high on the act we score high on these tests so that's why we get more funding which we're able to put it towards a new CCA yeah. or a new part of the building, a new football field, you know, whatever it may be. But honestly, I would much rather have my teachers get paid more than have that new football field yeah. or have that new CCA or have new furniture somewhere. You know what I'm saying? I would much rather have 
in my head, the best teacher that I've ever had is Greg Gassnow oh. from HSC. And I would love to see him get paid at higher wage and teach for longer. Yeah. Than have freaking a, a new couch in the CCA. Yeah, well, you know what I'm saying? The shitty thing is, it's a catch twenty two on both sides. Um, so because we have high test scores, we get more funding, which means that we can pay our teachers more. Mm-hmm. And then that continues uh, because the teachers are paid more; they're more willing to work harder, sort of thing. Those students' grades go up; they test higher. And then the cycle repeats. But on the opposite side of that spectrum is you have kids that are testing low, so their funding isn't great, so they can't bring in great teachers, so the test scores drop lower, so their funding decreases, so they can't bring in good teachers, and so on and so forth and so on and so forth and so on and so forth. I wish we could find a way where those higher up, like our school district that has a lot of funding and has those test scores, could – help transfer i don't want to i maybe a teacher share program like this is a fresh take right here (laughs) but maybe try something out with a teacher share program where the highest performing teachers with the highest test grades can go in and help try and teach or try and lesson plan or work with younger teachers because i feel like with younger teachers you're just kind of thrown off into the deep end and you have to learn lesson planning unless someone takes out of the goodness of their heart you under their wing so I think maybe if we did a teacher sharing program where a teacher at one of those higher performing communities comes into a lower performing community and helps those teachers out, we could help bridge the gap because right now both on the high end of the spectrum and the low end of the spectrum are just doomed to repeat and keep going over and over and over again. By the way, I just want to make – I was totally wrong about how much our teachers are getting paid. I just looked it up and uh, in a – a Spanish teacher that I know very well and has been teaching Spanish at Hamilton Southeastern for eight to ten years gets paid $55,000 a year. Yeah, so lower than we thought. L- way lower. Even though that. we're in an affluent community. Fif- that's that's $15,000 lower than I thought it was. Yeah. Which is $15,000. That's is a, a lot of money. A lot of money. And, I mean, when these teachers also get raises, uh, I, I've always been a teacher's pet. I love – I love interacting with my teachers, and I love being friends with my teachers. Uh, my my eighth, seventh, and eighth grade wrestling coach was also a teacher, and he told me that one year they got a a uh, I think it was a five five percent raise, mm-hmm. and he told me that it only ended up being five cents added to every paycheck. <laughs> so that's if I'm doing my math right, a hundred dollars a paycheck. Yeah, something like that somewhere around there if you yeah we're not math majors so no i'm i'm dumb as hell but yeah i'm just i'm just dumb enough to the point where i can say stuff and act like act act like i'm i know what i'm talking about well, i think about, that's where you, know? you need to be you need to have some blissful ignorance with a little bit of self-awareness i'm really good at repeating stuff that i've read exactly and you know why you're good at that and you know why i'm good at that because that's how we were taught you and i were taught to retain information but not taught how to retain specific skills. So the fact that I couldn't do simple math because it was not a memorable thing that I could memorize says a lot about me, I think, but also a little bit about how we're taught the things that we're taught. Because we're taught to remember things and just spew them out. Exactly. And one thing that one of my teachers always told me, Mr. Salvador here out there, I appreciate you. He always told me there's a difference between – Learning something and remembering it. Mm-hmm. When you learn something, you're a- you are able to explain it, and you can almost 
teach it. Teach it to someone else. Yeah. That is the best way to learn something is to teach it to someone else. When you remember something, it's, it'll be out of your memory. The way the brain works, I'm a psych major, so I, I, I'm kind of an expert on the brain stuff. Your long-term memory, well, if you remember something, it'll be stored in your short-term memory, and that mm-hmm. could be for about one to two weeks. When the, when the final comes around for that class, yeah. you completely forgot about what you learned. So it is much more important, and I encourage everyone that's listening to this podcast, instead of remembering the information for the test or remembering the information for your project or your speech or whatever it may be, I encourage you to learn. Yeah. Learn it and then try and teach it to someone else. And then, you know, that's how you'll evolve not only as a person, but you'll also evolve in um, what you know and how you know it and how well you know things. Well, that goes back to what I was saying with um – elementary school kids learning how to teach first and if you build those skills early because you and i are finished products almost i don't want to think cynical or anything but looking at the facts our brains have about five or six years left to start developing or Mm -hmm. to finish developing and then we're kind of like set in stone with our habits and stuff if you teach kids these habits early they will retain those habits early so it might be a little late for us but i think if we start teaching kids these these skills and stuff now, I would love to see how that generation functioned yeah. after that. And it'll, it'll be hard to teach kids to teach other kids with the integration of yeah. technology. Yeah. Because you can just Google it. I can Google anything. Yeah. Anything. And I've I gotten can find so much stupider from with just Google. Because so re- we're so reliant on, yeah. hey, I don't need to. Like, oh, my gosh, 20 years ago? If you oh not even twenty years ago now two thousand oh my god thirty years ago oh. thirty year thirty years ago you had to physically rem- yeah. you had to physically learn things and l- remember them you couldn't you couldn't Google anything yeah otherwise you'd have to go back to the library and look at the encyclopedia, the encyclopedia page again yep. like, or oh. the whatever book whatever book is like we're in a library right now and I walked in the library this morning or this afternoon and there were only. Ten people here. I know? couldn't tell you the last time I opened a book, which is a bad thing. I'm reading a book right now. It's uh, actually I'm rereading a book. It's called How to Make Friends and Influence People by Dale Carnegie. Okay. Um, I've read it many times. It was I took this leadership class uh, from Luke Dunnick taught it at Sparta. Okay. Uh, it was like a ten week course, and there were levels to it. And Luke Dunnick was my mentor, so he forced me to take this leadership <laughs> course. And uh, I went through it. I read the, I read that book, How to Make Friends and Influence People by Dale Carnegie. And then I read a book called Seven, Seven Ways to Be a Highly Effective Teen. I read those two books. And I reread How to Make Friends and Influence People every once in a while just to make sure that I'm doing what that book has taught me. One of the main lessons in that book is be a good listener. Mm-hmm. We have way too many talkers in this world and not too many listeners. And <laughs> that book is just very interesting, and I recommend it to everyone. You and I read very different things. Because the last book I read, I think, was the Aragon series. I went back and reread <laughs> it. The, that also is a great book. It's that, fire. Funny story about Aragon. Me and my friend uh, Alec, in, back in friggin' elementary school, used to do competitions. Yeah. Aragon's a pretty fucking big book, Oh, it's book, a right? big boy. Yeah. 
we used to do competitions to see who could read it first or yeah. read it the fastest. My friend Alec was one of those gifted and talented kids, and I, on the other hand, was not. <laughs> well, yeah, that's something I built up because we used to do – in my class, we used to have um, how, how quickly you could read and retain the information competition. So they would write down how many words you read and how quickly you read it. And my goal was always to be the best. So I picked up speed reading, and I never had anyone to compete against because I was – was a weird looking kid but um i picked up you're beautiful joey i was beautiful i was so round your mom says you're special she does say that how did you (laughs) (laughs) i was very round um but i i think the last time i read anything was probably aragon like last year i bought all the game of thrones books didn't Um, even know there were game of thrones books oh yeah that's a source material it's canon it's what what the show's based off but (laughs) Um, I bought all those, obviously, with the intention of reading them, and then they just sat in my dorm room. And then one of our buddies from college, Audrey, if you're out there, I'm not mad at you, but I lent her the first book, A Song of Fire and Ice, on March, in the first week of March. You should charge her for it. And then we all know what happened at the end of March. (laughs) College got canceled. (laughs) So Audrey has the book of, of Fire and Ice, and I probably will never get that book back. <laughs> so I guess – but I think my problem is it's just like what's the point of reading anymore? Why would I sit down and spend an hour and a half reading something when I could just find an article that I could read in five minutes? That's true. I think the the added advantage to reading nonfiction or whatever it may be, any genre of reading, is the creativity behind it. Yeah. The reason we are so creative as kids is because we read these books and we're like, oh, my Gosh, yeah. that is cool. That's a really good point. You know? Well, like, you feel like you're living it. Yeah, for sure. And those artists, are, those children books, they're th- those – not artists. Those authors are really good at, you know, making those books entertaining. Yeah, creating worlds for the kids. Yeah, like I read – I was really big Harry Potter guy. I'm a Hufflepuff, okay. by the way, for those of you out there. Shut the fuck up. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I'm a Gryffindor. Uh, you suck. Everyone did was. you did you ever did were you in Harry Potter club at school? No, because ours sucked. Yours was awesome. You guys had like the Yule Ball and everything. Yeah, we had like three kids with broomsticks. We used to play Quidditch. Yeah, I know. I, I was, was so sad. So, <laughs> funny story where we're um, we're straying off from the original topic, but this is a funny story. I wrestled all through high school, um, and I was I was all right. I was all right athlete. Um, but I got invited to Quidditch because Hufflepuff didn't have enough kids. Oh, um, oh poor Hufflepuff. <laughs> I'm not surprised, though. And I went in there and just friggin' dominated all these Harry Potter kids because I was uh, I was obviously an athlete. And these Harry Potter kids didn't happen to be athletes, or at least <laughs> most of them didn't happen to be athletes. And I just went there and fucking dominated these so kids. So you went in. These kids are having a fun game of Quidditch. And I'm in there fucking hitting people. And you were in there. It <laughs> ruined it. And Ezekiel Elliott jumping over. Dude, people. that's such a total Hufflepuff move. I'm no just, way. Hufflepuffs are nice people. Exactly. You know, you were the leftover. They were the leftovers. <laughs> I'm disappointed. But um, I, I have a question for you. Because mm-hmm. you were an avid reader and you talked about creativity. Um, is leaning into reading the way that we keep up? When we go on technology, like is leaning into ebooks the way that we help these kids retain that creativity? Yeah, for sure. And 
I don't think I think actually reading the book does way more for you than listening to it listening to someone read it yeah. to you. You know? Well some You're, kids have dyslexia, so it's a little bit Yeah, ebooks are great. I I agree. I think they I just want to make you feel better. <laughs> I wanna see how quickly you could backtrack. And I think ebooks it could there could be a great way to learn. But in my opinion <laughs> Yeah. In my opinion, I think physically reading a book looking at the words is a great way to to build that creativity. Yeah. Well, my cousin's a publisher out in Boston, and the, one of the things that she talks about is that is her favorite thing is the smell of a book, and that a is fresh a fresh book. And that is like a calming thing for her because it reminds her of all the times that she just relaxed with a book. If you just there's an old theory that you shouldn't do homework in your bed. You shouldn't do homework where you sleep because then you associate your bed with sleeping. Or you associate your bed with homework rather than sleeping. Okay. So I think that applies to iPads because if your iPads have always been used – if your iPads are used for homework and then you start after school playing games on it, you're going to associate your iPad with games rather than reading and rather than homework. That's true. So I think it would be difficult. I don't know how you're supposed to get kids' books, though. And then, of course, you got environmental concerns with books. Um is there maybe switch like a Kindle? A Kindle, but are then, those still a thing? I I don't know, but then your kids got four separate devices all the time, and they're always looking at screens. But a Kindle screen is much different than yeah. A Kindle screen is like it looks like an actual book. Yeah, but what kid is gonna want yeah? A no Kindle? kid's gonna get a Kindle. That was an unrealistic expectation. No, I I don't mean to shame <laughs> you for that, but because it, it sounds like it sounds good in theory, but what kid wants a Kindle? How are we going to get kids to read? And it feels so weird because I'm uh, you're 20, right? Or yeah. I'm 19. None, neither of us have children. Yeah, not yet. But I'm worried that about That I know them. about. I'm worried about kids. Like these days, like – I have I have little siblings though. Yeah. And how – like how do you uh, – how do you – have you experienced them learning? Um. So my brother is really into Fortnite. So when the e-learning really started, I, he just played Fortnite all day. Yeah. Um, and then my mom got on his ass and was like, we were playing poker in the basement one day. You could hear my mom yelling at my little brother upstairs. You need to do your hair homework. <laughs> you know, typical mom stuff. But it's, again, like we talked about earlier, it's so easy to not do your homework yeah. when it's over the, the internet. God, it feels so good to not do it, too. Oh, yeah. You don't, there is no ounce of guilt. It's like, oh. it's like re- almost rebellious. Like it's built in our, built in our nature. To to say fuck you homework. Something about seeing like an empty module on Canvas just makes my heart flutter a little bit. It gives me little butterflies to look at something and go, I'm not gonna do that. But now it, that's something I picked up in college. That's not something I've been doing because you used to have a piece of paper and the teacher would collect it at the front of the class, or you would put the paper up in the air. And if you didn't have the paper, everyone's looking at you. Everyone's shamed. 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 Now, I don't want to say, now where's the shame? Why are kids not being shamed these days? Because it's, it's still bad, but, like, no, accountability. Shame definitely builds character. I think, I think it's, it's important. A, I think shame with accountability. Yeah, we've become too soft we as a society. And not a, not, I don't even think this is a fresh take. It's, uh, I mean, I see it in the wrestling rooms that I'm in with these kids. Is When I was in high school, we were battling. Like, yeah. I would legitimately get in fights with my teammates in the wrestling room sometimes. Sometimes. Um, and the leaders on the team, like, it was normal. Because you wanted, you wanted to win so damn bad 
that you didn't care about the person that was in front of yeah. you. And that's wrestling's a combat sport, so it's a completely different mindset than football or uh, tennis or whatever yeah. it may be. Not that I'm shaming those sports. All great hard sports to do. Uh, any professional sport, I believe, is is hard. But when it comes to wrestling, you have to have this thing, this killer mindset. And I think nowadays, when I'm when I coach these kids or see them wrestle, it's they don't have that killer mindset yeah. anymore. Well, do you think that's what ha- it's been forever? You know, like, and isn't that mean we're progressing as a society? If we have the luxury to be softer than those we came before, because like. If you look at the, the, the generation before the boomers, mm-hmm. they went through a couple of wars. And then big ones. A <laughs> couple of big ones. You guys might have heard of them. They were international, baby. But then they, have, they give birth to these kids that aren't in war. And I bet they thought they were soft or just kind of chilling. Do you see it with – have you ever watched that 70s show? No, I haven't. Okay, so the main character, the main dad, Red Foreman. Okay, yeah, I've seen the memes. Oh, yeah, right. he is, he's been in wars and stuff. Yeah. And his son, um, oh my gosh, what's his name? Tope. Eric, Eric Foreman. His son, Eric, um, he, he thinks he's soft and says again, what did I do wrong when I raised yeah. you? So I see what you're, where you're well, coming from. Well, if you from. watch any TV show pre-2000s, that, the big punchline of the 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 father figure to the the child was uh, I like I thought I raised you to be tougher sort of yeah. thing like how did this happen which makes me think that it's been an issue for a while I think it's important to be tough cuz not only does there's also a resiliency that comes with that when you are when you are beaten down yeah for me it was when I was got got beaten a wrestling match or got got I never lost when I box as well. Never lost a boxing match, but like in a sparring sesh, whenever I would get pummeled by my by, by my teammates, you know, yeah, it's that stuff's not easy to handle because it's mano y mano, and you're basically getting embarrassed in front of whoever's in the crowd, yeah, or whoever's watching. That builds resiliency, and I think nowadays, it's not even about being tough. Mm-hmm. It's about being resilient. Yeah, that's in a my good point. Eyes. Well. And toughness and resiliency, mental fortitude, I think all those things go hand in hand. But I think the good thing that we're seeing with the younger generation is sensitivity at a level I've never seen. Empathy. Empathy. Shout out to episode one. But sensitivity and empathy at really high levels. And I don't think they have to be on the opposite spectrum of toughness, mental fortitude, and resiliency. But I think that the world groups those into two different things. It's like, if you're a sensitive person, you can never be a tough guy. That's why one of the biggest jokes in any movie or TV show is, like, the Zac Efron crying. Like, oh, no, he has muscles. He could never. He doesn't have He has kind muscles. of a dad bod now. Have you, uh, seen, well, have you seen Twitter? That's bullshit. It's not a dad bod. Dude. He looks great. <laughs> Dude. He looks great. His six-pack's gone. His six-pack's gone. Well, maybe, like. His 18-pack's gone. Sorry. Okay, if Zac Efron has a dad bod, I don't want to categorize what I have then. You have a dad We Both of us have dad bods, too. I don't want it to be ripped and then dad bod. There shouldn't be two choices. <laughs> there should be multiple choices because now I have to compare myself to goddamn Zac Efron every day. We, yeah, we look like Zac Efron. That's well, hype. Okay, that is hype. Well, that's, yeah, that's a good point. That is pretty funny. <laughs> exactly. That is hype. Um, but I, think, I don't think that sensitivity and resiliency should be on either side, of the, on both sides of the spectrum. I think they should be one. But, again, we're talking about a perfect world, and we're never going to live in a perfect world. Because if we lived in a perfect world, teachers would have money. 
if we lived in a perfect world, income inequality would be not a thing. Yeah. You know? And <laughs> I don't want to bring up socialism again because we talked about yeah, it last time. But one thing that if you if we want to fix income inequality, I mean, socialism yeah. is a great way to yeah. go about that. I don't think it's a solution for us. But when you look at the fundamental ideas of socialism is everyone gets X amount of dollars for biweekly or monthly. Yeah. And that's the money they use to. And But also they get taxed a lot. Mm -hmm. I think it's like a. Yeah, that's it, the. It ranges, it ranges from, you know, the high to the low. But <clears throat> I think the low end of the spectrum is 45% if we want a successful successful yeah. society. So in if you are if you want to give up 45% of your – or 45% of your paycheck, it's more, fucking, yeah, that's, that's a lot. It's that's crazy a lot. amount of money. So – It's hard to visualize it working well. Yeah, but also you get, you get health care, you get – College, yeah. college. I mean, when you look at Bernie's ideas from a fundamental perspective, they make sense. Yeah. Well, can I give you my solution for all of this? Yeah. And I'm going to make a disclaimer now. This is a joke so that I cannot be sued for libel, slander, or a threat to a person in power. This is a joke. We should uh, go to Jeff Bezos' house and take all of his money. Or be like – or maybe, like, build something that shoots a little bit of empathy in him. Because if Jeff Bezos made, like, $15 billion in a day, $17 billion Way on too Monday? much money. Way too much money. If, if, he, <coughs> if he donated a single day of earning to all of the public schools in America, you and I would no longer be having this conversation. Yeah, but... Dude, I think it would fix a lot. It just... It comes you, down to money. You can't count on that to happen, and it won't. Yeah. I don't think it ever will. Well, we talked about that last week with trickle-down economics. You're never going to convince yeah. the top 1% of the 1% that they owe it to their community to give back. Mm -hmm. you, you and that 1% from the 99% just keeps keeps on growing. Yeah. The, the gap between me and Jeff Bezos continues to grow by the second every day. Because right yeah. now – I'm making zero dollars per hour. I'm making zero dollars right now. And He's Jeff making... Bezos probably just made a quarter million dollars by me just in within the time of this podcast. You know what I'm saying? Like he is, yeah, the owner of Amazon, something that everyone uses yeah. now, especially now with COVID. And I, I mean, you've seen Amazon expand so much. Like my friend, um, he lives. He went to you. I went. He, I went to U Indy with him. Wow, that was hor hard for me to say. Um, he orders his groceries through Amazon. Yeah, a, a lot of people do. And I think it's nuts that we don't have to go to the damn grocery store anymore. I know. I think it's nuts that the people that are giving Jeff Bezos all this money are not benefiting from it in any way. It's basically like we're paying taxes to Jeff Bezos. It's basically like that, but we're not getting anything in return. We get the product. We get the product, yeah, but what are we getting outside of the product? We get a momentary thing. Well, he keeps all of our money because you, you look at his profit margins, and I understand it's a business, and we live in a capitalistic society, but he's making enough money where he could be a government. He could build his own infrastructure. If he wanted to right now, he could probably buy most of Alaska and turn it into Bezos land. That would be dope. That would be dope. I wouldn't live there. Why not do like Wyoming or something where nothing really happens? Are there people in Wyoming? Montana. Yeah. 
Well, there's a lot of mountain lions, but I don't South think. Dakota, North Dakota. I don't know anyone from there. You I know don't, what I'm saying? There's a paradigm. I, I think it's fake. I don't think there's two Dakotas. Why did we go through that effort? Two of any state? Stop it. Why is there a West Virginia and then just a Virginia? These are questions that we should take up with George Washington. <laughs> if I could reanimate any person, I'd reanimate George Washington and go, why are there so many of the same state? He'd go, what? What is this? And then he would die from the sheer influx of information. But I'm just saying Jeff Bezos, if he wants to have the money of a government, needs to start acting a little bit like a government, especially with education. That's the least he can do. Like Helping with education, I think, is the easiest thing that can help convince people you're not a reptile. If you're trying to help with education, people will see you as a human being. It's literally the least he could do. It's And it, it doesn't even have to be money, like hard yeah. cash. Why not give these kids in the inner city some iPads or Wi-Fi? Or, or wifi? Help them with Wi-Fi. Like, it's, especially as we're moving to e-learning, you were talking about a little bit, like how this is going to affect it even more. But what about the kids that don't have Wi-Fi at home? What about the kids that don't have access to laptops at home? There's a person that could help with all of that. But it lives in fucking Seattle, Washington. There are so many people that could help bunker. with that. Not just gonna, sh- not just gonna be hard on Jeff Bezos. Yeah, like, I know. I sound like a brat, just yeah. demanding stuff from Jeff y- Bezos. Yeah, there are plenty of people in the world, yeah. in the especially in the United States, that could help. He's just such an easy target. The, he, yeah, yeah, because he's the isn't he, is he the richest person in if the world? If he's not, right then uh, the most rich person in the world is super secretive. What about that guy that owns Berkshire Hathaway? Uh, I don't know. I think if Bezos broke the one-day record, that's he has to be the richest person. He has in the world. to be the richest person yeah, in the world. for sure. Um, but I want to get back to teachers real yeah. quick. Um, I think one w- another way we could fix the education system in America is teachers running for secretary of education. Yeah, teachers yeah. running for things that things that have to do with instead of a politician. Um, running our education system, why not have a teacher that's been there, done that? Betsy DeVos right now is the Secretary of Education in America. And she said it's safe to go back to school because only .04 kids will die. Ah! .04 kids equates to about 26,473 students. And if she says it's just, she didn't say Point four point zero four kids will die. She said just point four zero kids will die. Percent of kids, sorry. Yeah. No teacher would ever say that. No teacher that ever taught kids would ever say that. Yeah, because to those to that teacher, those th- those kids are their children, basically. Yeah. And Betsy DeVos has never been there. And also she isn't for public education. Yeah. I want to get to the you you want to talk about public education versus a private education where you have to they have there's thing there's these things called vouchers that are granted to these kids so they could either go to for us it'd be they could either go to hsc high school or they could go to a cathedral they could go to uh, bishop burbuff bishop chatard garen catholic and instead of that money going to that public school that money goes to that private school Mm -hmm. which already has more than enough money for it to be successful yeah i think this is one of those things that is mind-boggling to think about the creation of private institutions for elementary middle school high school level classes i understand if it's a religious 
denomination, but the fact of the matter is a lot of kids aren't, a lot of families aren't sending their kids there for religious reasons. Well, even with cathedral, I mean, you see, I've talked to people that have gone to cathedral. They are, you wouldn't call them a Catholic school. No, no, I, you honestly forget they're a Catholic school. Yeah, cathedral's known for, for sports. Yeah. That's and, it. They dominate every sport. Yep. And just like St. X out in Louisville does the same thing, uh, they uh, dominate pretty much every sport in the, in the state of Kentucky, and they're technically a, a Catholic school. But what it is is you can you have an, a, a, an, a, the ability to now build a powerhouse in whatever you want to build it in. Because mm-hmm. if you're districted to one place or another, you might not get on a very good football team. You might not get on a very good basketball team. But you can pay your way to getting onto a great team and getting yourself more exposure which I think is nuts that that's even a possibility. Yeah. So I want to talk – we can keep talking about the sports relation, but there is uh, – again, I wrestled in high school, and Cathedral was a really good wrestling program. And I'd say probably 20% of their starting lineup could have gone to AGC or Fishers. Yeah. And the, the weird thing about that is they pay – they pay to go to that school. There's a tuition. It's like college. There's a tuition. Yeah. There's it's seventeen thousand a year. Last I heard. Yeah, seventeen thousand a year for these kids to go to school. In high school, not even not even college. This and is you're not even getting room there. You you have to still commute to. Yeah, campus. you pay a seventeen thousand dollar annual fee to go to this school, or you could go to your local public school, give them that money, so they can you know do they can make education better for your child but instead we have people going to private schools which i'm not bashing on private yeah schools no at absolutely all. not if you are going to a private school to get for the religious reason or because your child probably isn't comfortable in this public school yeah. environment they need smaller classroom sizes i get it i understand yeah i don't want to seem like i'm attacking people for choosing to go to private schools i just i'm we're, we're mostly talking about the institution of private schools yeah what itself. what is wrong with well, private schools versus the public education system yeah i think if you took i think one of the solutions to this or something that could help is if you took the funding that was going to those private schools and you still applied the average mean income of the let me phrase this a little bit better so the people that are paying to go to those private schools are still included in your count for your county or for your district because when you go to a private school, you are no longer part of that average mean income um, for your district. So I think what should happen is you still count those people, and then that funding still goes to a public school rather than just going to a private school. So now you're funding a private and a public school just by living in a certain area. But the thing about a private school is they're not supposed to be publicly funded. Yeah. They don't They don't want to rely on – they have a completely different curriculum. Yeah, they right. Really so that's why they don't want to get funded publicly, is because if they do get funded publicly, they have to get rid of some of those institutional things yeah. that they have. All I'm saying is, like, rather than funding the private school publicly, you still take into account the people that are sending their kids there. You still take into account their mean income, and apply that to the public district. So okay. they're still paying the tuition for the private, but they're just because of where they live and their mean income that still goes to the public school, that information, so that they still get more funding from that. But I think it's interesting, the whole idea of, of private schools, because I never went to a private school, so I obviously do not know how different it is from public schools, but I have a little bit of an idea. 
um, from yeah, people that I've I know never that have gone, gone there. Yeah, yeah. I've never gone to a private school. I don't have a very good formulated opinion. I've never been exposed. But I have a lot of friends that have gone yeah. to the cathedrals of the world, that have gone to the rebuffs of the world. Yeah, the same with the Montfort. Yeah, yeah. All those, all those private schools. And, again, if your kid is more susceptible to learning in a private school with – the religious aspect added yeah. to it, which most of these private schools have that religious aspect added uh, yeah, to it, I, correct? I think, I think most or all, and then the charter schools are ones that you still pay for, but you don't have uh, the- theological learning okay. in there. All right. Yeah, because I know cathedrals, Catholic, Brebuff, Jesuit, uh, yeah. Garen Catholic, Catholic. Yeah, Heritage Christian. Yeah, Christian. St. <laughs> Louis de Montfort is also is Christ- Catholic. Catholic, yeah, yeah. yeah, my bad. No, you're good. Um I get confused with the Christian because I'm I'm personally not Christian. Yeah. There's so many. Well, it's it's a weird rabbit hole to go down. Yeah, because you can be uh, non-denominational. Yes. There's uh, Methodist. There's Baptist. Catholic. You could go down the list. There's one for every letter of the alphabet. Yeah, really. it's in, it's uh, there is a lot of branches of Christianity. So I guess it all boils down to, and, and what we've been saying this whole time, is we've got to give equal opportunity for everybody and that starts with teachers i think i think that starts with paying for teachers so my big takeaway from this and the thing that i want to emphasize is that we got to get more funding for these teachers man let's put teachers in power let's give them some power let's give them fun let's give funding to our public schools and pay our teachers more and put teachers in leadership positions whether it be the school board whether it be Secretary of Education for the state or Secretary of Education for our damn country. Betsy DeVos, I'm sorry you are not well-equipped to be our Secretary Mm. of Education. Not even a little bit. Um, That's not even a political thing. She's just objectively bad at her job. Yeah, she is. If you look at any secretary, a lot of the secretaries in this administration, a lot of them, and yes, yes, I am attacking our president. Oh no, we almost made it. <laughs> we almost made it our whole podcast without, but I am a, I am going to attack the cabinet. Um the cabinet is supposed to help the president do their mm-hmm. job uh very well at that. And our cabinet simply yeah, hasn't done that this this in these 4 years. So, my takeaway from this at the end of the day is as I said, teachers need to get paid more. Teachers need to be in leadership positions in government, and we need more funding for our schools. Yep. Fire Betsy DeVos. Uh, that's all we got for you today. You fresh fresh take, Fire Betsy DeVos. Fresh take. Let's start a hashtag on Twitter, hashtag fresh take, fires Betsy DeVos. Um, but I think that's a beautiful way to wrap up this episode. Yeah. Um, thank, um, again, thank you to everyone that's listening. We appreciate you guys. Uh, stay beautiful. Yeah, we're trying to get better every week, so I love you guys. Wear masks. Wear masks, for the love of God. Thank you guys for listening to this week's episode of Fresh Take with Joey and Ranveer. If you guys are interested, please follow us on Twitter at Fresh Take with R&J. And if you would do us a solid and post us on your social media, repost our stuff, retweet our stuff, uh, we'd love you even more. Joey and I will personally come and give you a kiss. I'll see you guys next week. Love you. Stay safe. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. 
They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.